Good morning, church. Good morning. We're getting started this morning in our study guides. Page 60, or I'm sorry, page 41. Sorry, glasses ain't working right this morning. Origins of the church is the title this morning, and under the central truth it says the church has always been part of God's plan. Not... Not a building, a people. Not a building, a people. Now, you always, you know, I'm. I talk often about byproducts and, you know, things that come out of things. A building is a byproduct of the people. It's. It is not the thing. It's a part of the thing. Is it important? Yes, but not as important as the people. If you go back and you look at. Uh, uh, some of the uh, uh, worshipers, really, I mean, I was just reading the story recently, some of the worshiping that took place, uh, 16, 1700, uh, they, were, uh, they were under trees, worshiping. And then they moved to a building. And I, I just, I thought about that, and I thought, man, we don't know anything about that. Somewhere in the, the mix of, of everything in the history of it, um, the lines got blurred and people started paying attention more to the building than, than the people. Uh, a building needs maintenance, it needs cleaned, it, it needs upkeep. Now, all those things are very important, but the people need cleaned and need upkept and need taken care of. If, if the people are doing well, the building will do well. It's just a byproduct, people. Listen, it's a byproduct. It, it, these, these things go hand in hand. And... I know that over time people get confused about things and lines get blurred, um, as I already said. But I, I want to I remind you, when we start talking about the origins of the church, and, and I'll say this, it is impossible for you to be able to successfully move forward if you do not know where you came from. It's impossible. I don't, I don't, I don't care how you spin it. You have to understand where the forefathers come from, how they did what they did, what was the expectation, and look at it over a large span of time, look over the church of its, from its birth to today, and then understanding what the importance of it is and what your part is in all of that. Because you do play a part, right? Amen. You play a part, a serious part. So under Let's Get Started, it says, While the day of Pentecost is often referenced as the birth of the church, its roots can be traced back to God's dealings with the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament. The teachings of Jesus prepared the disciples for developing and expanding the church. His teachings are still foundation uh, are the still the foundation of the church. It exists to spread the good news of Jesus through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. All right, so the lesson is saying this morning is that the the existence of what you call the church or what we identify as the church is is what? What's it say? To spread the good news. That is the function of the church, is to spread good news. See, if, if you forget that, just that alone, and we could actually go into it really deep, and I'm not, I don't have time, but we could really talk about a lot of facets that the church does and things that the church does that are beneficial and uh, outreaches and ministries and feeding the poor and, and, and taking care of the widows and all of those things that we know scripturally that we're supposed to be a part of, right? Well, I mean, we, we understand all of that stuff, but don't forget what you're actually here for. 
If you forget that part, that part alone, if you forget that we are here to spread the good news, then you can just forget the rest of it. None of it really matters. Because remember, they, they, there's kind of a cohesion there. there. There's a mixture there. You know what we're here for, and that makes it much, it makes much more sense then to be able to move forward because you know what direction to go. You don't, if you don't understand what you're here for, then we're just kind of riding this thing out until the end. We're, it's going to be really easy to get mixed up if we really don't know what the mission statement is. And to me, that's the mission statement. Spread the good news. Make sure, make sure people know what you stand for. Make sure people know why you're even entering these doors. We've, we've talked a lot about that in here recently is, why are you here? And I'm not rehashing that. I'm just saying that's some really good stuff to, to consider. So um, it says it exists to spread the good news of Jesus through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the reasons, we'll get into this later, that's one of the reasons that the Holy Spirit is here is to empower you to spread the good news. All right. When we talk about the beginnings of the church, our minds quickly move to the Great Commission in Matthew 28 and the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. These are certainly milestones, but God's plan for the church began long before the New Testament. Throughout Scripture, he revealed how his people would come together and live in community. By the time we arrive in Acts 2, which we'll cover in Lesson 10, we will better understand what God intended the church to be. So... We, we know just by reading this lesson that in order for us to be successful um, at, at what our endeavor is that we're going to have to be obedient to the will of God. And I look at that, and when I see the Great Commission, I, I see what the Holy Spirit is doing, and I know the, the Holy Spirit also exists to speak to you directly, so you have this direct connection with the Lord, and you can go to the Lord in prayer. The Holy Spirit exists to, um, to have that communication where would we be if we didn't access that? We'd be nowhere. We'd be nothing. So the Holy Spirit is a, is a, uh, a main character um, in this thing that we're living. All right, let's read some scripture, page 42. I don't remember who read last week. Who read last week? I did. Okay, David, if you don't mind, ma'am. Deuteronomy 4.10. Never forget the day when you stood before the Lord your God at Mount Sinai, where he told me, Then they all prayed, O oh Lord, you know every heart. Go with the beast and men you have chosen, and then 
Jesus in his ministry, bringing out converted us in his own way to the Lord. Then they cast lots, and the house was selected to become an apostle with the elder of Rome. Thank you. Page 43, Old Testament Roots. The Christian faith is personal, life-changing, and intended to be experienced. But faith must be grounded in knowledge of who God is and what he expects. Let me read that one more time. Faith must be grounded in knowledge of who God is and what he expects. Amen. See, you, got, you have faith, and you have knowledge, and you understand what you believe. And it's really, I mean, it starts in its earliest form. If you, if you want to take it back, let's go back to the day you were saved. Let's go back to that initial encounter. Do you remember that day? Do you remember when that happened? A message? Or, I don't know, I don't know what your environment was. Maybe you were reading personally. Something happened, and in the purest and most innocent form, you understood it. You understood what was given to you. You got it. It's like it clicked. Yes, I get it. And then you took that measure of faith that you had been given and you joined it to that little piece that you were given in truth and you were said, I believe it. Amen. And by doing that, you accepted Christ as your Savior and everything else is history. But you've got to really strip it down, go all the way back to the beginning and look at that theme that started so innocently then. It has not changed all the years that you have been saved. It is still about understanding what you've been told, <laughs> understanding the expectation, and obeying it. Still the same. Yes, we might have been in church for 40 years. But see, that's the thing, though, is, is, and that's really one of the points I want to make, and it was a, a point to me as I was studying this, is, is that that's where that line gets blurred. It's like, well, I've been in church for 40 years. You've been in a building for 40 years. You, you, you understand how the building operates. But see, you can understand how everything that takes place inside this building operates and still miss the reason why you're even here. I mean, that's to me, that's powerful and scary. Some scary stuff. I've relayed it recently, and, and I want to relay I'll relay it for the sake of this. God has been really dealing with me about this one life to live thing. And... Uh, it's really been impactful to me that you only get one chance. And if you've got stuff in your closet, it needs to be cleaned out before the end of this. And you don't even know when that is, which should even alarm you even more. Yeah. That has been impacted upon me so deeply that I would say at times it's even been agonizing. And I'm not even I'm not I'm not coming up with fancy words. I'm just telling you that's exactly the way it was conveyed to me. You, you got one shot at this, one chance. Why are you not going to give everything that you can to make sure that you're right? Why do you passively go through and 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 we just kind of passively travel through life and we passively think that everything's good, yeah, it's fine. And and when I start, and this is my personal thing. When I start looking at um, other countries and, and other messages and the way people receive the Word of God. And then I look at our culture and the way we receive the Word of God, you can obviously tell there's something wrong. Something's not right there. And I, and I meditate on it and I let it affect me in a very deep way because I realize that that, that moment when God is in, in convicting my spirit and dealing with me is a very, very precious time. And as hard as this, and as difficult as it is, 
it's important to receive what God is trying to speak to you and convey to you. Regardless of how much you really want us to look at it or not, it makes no difference because the value of it is absolutely priceless because I don't know if he'll ever show me again. I don't know. This is the moment in my life when he's showing me. He's like, right here, son, let me show you something. I may not get another chance to see and respond to what God is telling me. You co- we come in and out of these church doors every week. And we get comfortable, and we get used to the verbiage, and we get used to the messages, and we get used to all of those things. But you just don't know. You just don't know. And it's over. And you're out of chances. I know. I know that's not probably what you want to hear. And I know I've been saying it a lot recently, but it's the thing that I've been having to deal with. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, re, it's a new reality for me that if you only got one chance, you're going you're gonna to handle it differently. If you think you got a million chances, you're going to handle it a different way. But if you think you've only got one, one shot at the whole thing, you're going to act differently. You really will. <laughs> so I hope that you don't turn me off after that. Let's, <laughs> so... In, uh, in Deuteronomy 4, 9 through 14, Moses warned the people not to forget what they had experienced. What an interesting piece of advice. And it's not what an advice, it was a command. As they followed God in the desert, unlike religions around them, Israel did not have idols to hold, look at, or trust. They trusted in a God who they had never seen. The acts of God they had witnessed were to be passed down through the generations. How important is that? How important is it to take the experiences that God has put into your life, the things that you have learned, and pass it on to the next generation? Amen. And if, you, if you've ever wondered, really, I mean, if you've ever wondered in, in, the, in the most pure form how to train up your child in the way that he should go, that he won't depart from it, is to tell him about your story. I'm, I'm saying this again, the same stuff. You tell them your story. Well, Tanner, it's not really about me. It's about Jesus. It's like, yeah, but see, that's the thing, though. You don't want to tell them your testimony. Say, yeah, Jesus is good. And then the kids, they don't, really don't get it. It's like, but, you know, they want to know what you came out of. This is why he told them. He said, you tell them what you came out of. You tell them about Egypt. You tell them about the slavery. You tell them about all the bad stuff that took place. And then you tell them about what you were delivered from. I'm not trying to dig up your past. I'm saying we do too much of a job of trying to pretend like it never happened. Not realizing that that is the teaching moment that can change your children. It's like, whoa, I didn't know mom and daddy dealt with that. We're afraid that it's going to tarnish us. Well, you ain't perfect anyway, so don't act like it. Amen. Amen. What are we trying to do? It's like, yeah, I'd like, you know, you, we, all want to, we all want to look good in front of the young people. It's like, you need to look at me because I'm older. You know, I'm an adult. Seriously, if you want them, I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to build a replica. I want them to be better. Uh, amen. Yeah. And, and I'm just going to throw it out there. I think some adults are just flat afraid that the young people are going to be better than them. I'm just, I'm just telling you, that's the truth. Some older people, we're just older, we're afraid that the young people come up and do it better than we did. But that should be your desire. Amen. That's actually the thing that you want the most. It's like, I want you to do it better than I did. I want you to be better than me. Absolutely. I want you to serve the Lord with all your heart. I want to see the blessings double in your corner. That's fantastic. 
Because, I mean, at the end of the day, you're not going to be around here to worry about that anyway, are you? What It's what we pass on. It's what we pass on. Um, and making sure we're honest about what we have been through and making sure they know that God gets the glory. The people were not to forget the instructions God gave them on Ma at Mount Sinai. God manifested himself in fire that shone brilliantly against the dark mountain and then spoke to them from the heart of the fire. It would teach them to fear and obey the Lord as they entered a land that was hostile to anyone who would follow the one true and invisible God. So what did they have to learn? What was the first thing they had to learn? Fear of the Lord. Fear and obedience. Learning to fear him for who he is. I mean, think about, let's think about the, not an, it's not an illustration. Think about the way this impacted the people seeing this fire burning, burning on top of this mountain. This is a spectacle. <coughs> now, God could have come in any form that he wanted. Any way that he chose, he chose that way. Why? Because it was impactful. He's like, I want to send a message to the people. I want to send a message that they understand who I am. What better way to send a message coming in the form of fire and this all-encompassing smoke? It's like, whoa, who is this? This is the God of Abraham and of Isaac. It's like, this makes perfect sense to me now. All the stories, all the things that I have seen, now I get to see it up close and personal. This was impactful. And I, I, I think, I, I don't think, I bring this to our society today, it, 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 the truth is that we have lost the fear of the Lord. It doesn't exist anymore. Not the way that it was then. They didn't even want to say his name because they were fearful about mentioning it in the wrong context. Now that's reverence. Mm -hmm. Were you going to say something, Pastor? I'm sorry. No, that's Yeah, yeah, reverence. It's all for reverence. Yes. You know, that's the state of society we're in. If God gives me everything I want, I don't have to be reverent. I don't have to uh, respect. You know, it's, you can see that. Mm -hmm. uh, people want great things of God. There's a drastic amount of reverence involved. Absolutely. And so, um, so he said, um, the idea of fearing the Lord is repeated throughout the Old Testament. David declared, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. Psalms 22 and 22. Proclaiming the Lord's name and praising him together is also demonstrated by fearing the Lord and caring for those in need. It goes hand in hand. Remember, we're talking about cohesion earlier. They go hand in hand. It's like, okay, what, what you're, now you're talking about fearing the Lord and praising him? Well, if you have a proper fear of the Lord... Then you'll have proper worship. Yeah, it's gonna make it's going to make more sense. You're not forced to do it. You know who he is, and you want to give him what's rightfully his. If you don't, then the worship is incorrect. What does it say? Those that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. The fear of the Lord. I just had a funny story about reverence that came to my mind. Um, mm -hmm. In my classroom, I tell my kids that they're not allowed to say, oh, my G-O-D. Mm -hmm. Like, that's that's off limits in my class. And the other day, we were doing a craft, and we were listening. I had gospel music on, and in the gospel music, it had said, oh, my God. Like, it was, and one of my girls was like, Miss Cook, you got to turn that song off. It just said G-O-D. Like, how we're not supposed to. And right. I said, oh, no, honey, that's praise music. Like, they were praising them in a different way, and she was like, 
oh, we need, I thought we needed to turn that song off, but it was really cute. I Context. Like that they, that's good. They had took that to heart. They were like, no, mm -hmm. we don't say that like that. Like, that's yep. disrespectful. So. But it was just funny that just came up in my head. The context, and that's exactly what they were, were the, the message, and the, the reason why they didn't want to say his name is because of the reverence they had for his name. Mm -hmm. And so it, they were very careful about how they went about doing it. Now think about how God's name is used in our society today. Compare it. Now I'm just saying compare it, compare it to from culture to culture, compare it, and think about how far it's traveled. And then you have to ask yourself, is it any less important of a topic today? Now that really should make you back up because it's like, wow. See, they were afraid to say his name. Now I'm not necessarily saying you have to be afraid to say his name. That's not the, that's not the point. It's the looseness and the laziness in which it's used. Now the Holy Spirit's pointed this out to me, even, even in different areas and different times, that it is almost sacrilegious to, to mention his name in accompanied with other topics and subjects. I'm like, mm -mm, no, I'm not bringing that up. I'm not putting his name in the middle of that. And I furthermore don't like to hear people use his name in a way that's derogatory or against him. That's it's in vain. And we should be, now listen, I say this in a good way. We should be offended by that. Amen. Say, well, we're not supposed to be offended. I'm talking about Sin. I'm talking about disrespect and irreverence. Those are things that you should say, oh, no. No, no, no. Not in my world. That should be a bad thing to you. Not something you've gotten used to. Okay. Reminders of God's faithfulness prompted David to fulfill his promises to God. While we know this psalm is ultimately about Christ, its words also apply to David and the rest of God's people at the time of its writing. Following the Lord is a lifestyle of obedience and faithfulness. It's a lifestyle every day, rooted in God's commands. This Old Testament foundation helps us understand the identity and function of the church in the New Testament, which is what? To fear him and to keep his commands. That's one of the functions of the, of the church in the New Testament, is to fear him and keep his commands. I don't have time to get into the deep talk that I'd love to have a conversation about, about is the Old Testament still relevant? And see, a lot of people think that it's not relevant, and this is, this is where a lot of people go wrong. Because if you're going to say that, if, if I say, and I think we all agree, and whether you agree or not, I'm, look, I'm just telling you, the Old Testament is still relevant. But see, if it's relevant, if you're going to agree with that, goodness, church, you might want to go back and read it again. Because there's some serious information in that Old Testament you need to get a hold of. Still good teachings for us today. Still pointing us to rights and wrongs. Still pointing us and getting us to Jesus. Exactly. You don't. You don't have no foundation. And so, I just I, I want to convey that because I the, I think a lot of people have wrote that out and wrote that off. And and you, if you believe that it's it's relevant, then you're going to act on it. Okay. In Acts seven and eight, Stephen said Moses received life giving words to pass on to us. God's commands to His people were intended to preserve them as He as His chosen people. This pattern prepared the way for Christ, whom Stephen identified as prophet, whom Moses had foretold in Deuteronomy 18 and 15. By not listening to Jesus, the Sanhedrin were rejecting the teachings of Moses. They didn't realize it, but they were. Old Testament Israel foreshadows the New Testament church. Yes. God established a community of people to live in, but, he separ but be separate from the world around them. They were to live according to the Lord's instructions. 
Deviating from his commands would bring consequences to individuals and community, but following his commands would bring God's abiding presence and blessings. All right, so I want to talk about one thing before we end this part out and we get into section two, and it's the consequences. That's, that's, I want to bring that up. I want to bring up consequences. Because belief is so important, and because you have to, you have to believe this. You have to believe that there are consequences to actions. We have to believe that if we do not follow the Lord and if we're disobedient to him, that there will be consequences. Amen. Look at your society today. Are there consequences to sin? Amen. You betcha. There are consequences. And so let's, now let's take this down. We know it's on a society level, but let's t- and, and I, I could say a group as a group, but let's take it down to the individual. Are there consequences to you as an individual for staying involved in sin? This is one of the problems that the church is having today. It's, it's been, we could say indoctrinated, but it's been um, infested. Because that's a term I use often in my industry. It's been infested with sin again. Sin has crept its way into people practicing sin. Still sitting in church views. That is flat out disobedience. And it's a scary in a... This is the way that God has revealed this to me over time is that this is a very scary and and a very dangerous place to be because you are pitting yourself face to face against the living God. You're pitting yourself against him by knowing that you should not be involved in that, yet you still stay involved in it. That is dangerous stuff. We're we're, we're, we're completely, uh, it's, it's complete blasphemy and disregard for what God has done for us. All right, well, if you don't believe that, let's go back. Let's look at the Old Testament. Let's look what God had done for his people. Why did he tell them some of the things that he told them when they were coming out of the wilderness and coming, or I'm sorry, let's back up again, coming out of Egypt and, and giving them the commands to follow and giving them those things. And then he said right here, I want to, I want you to be reminded of where you come from. I want you to be reminded of the things that you come out of. Because he knew that there was a possibility they could forget. And if they forgot, then what would happen? They would fall back into an anti-God, idol worship type lifestyle. He knew that. And so he wanted to keep that in front of them all the time. And so you have to know that it is a very large possibility that if you're not reminded about where you came from and about what God has delivered you from, that you'll become... Lazy in the spirit. Become easygoing. Become a little bit more tolerant of sin. Intolerant of things that you should not be tolerant of. When we come close to God, these are the things that he points out to us. This is one of the reasons, Not you can take it or leave it. This is one of the reasons I believe the church struggles today. Because the Holy Spirit is still here and he's still convicting people. But people don't want to hear it no more. It's hard to swallow when the, when the Spirit of the Lord is telling you you're in the wrong. It is a hard thing to swallow. And, and on top of that, it's a hard thing to deal with when conviction comes. When true conviction hits you, it's, it calls for total submission. You, can't, you cannot squirm under the weight of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. You will obey or you will hide, one or the other. And in some form or another, that's exactly what is going on in our society. That's what's going on in churches today is 
The convicting power is still there. I still believe it's there. I still feel him dealing with me in a very heavy way. And I still feel that God is going to move. I believe it. I believe it. I feel something in the spirit. But it's going to come down to people finally giving in to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and allowing him to do what he wants to do. And reminding us all, once again, of where we came from and how depraved we really are. Uh, being in the presence of God, there's something about being in the presence of God that just completely nullifies all arrogance and pride. He won't, he won't approach if there's arrogance and pride, and if there's any bits of it, it'll just dissolve it. It's, it calls for being totally submissive to God. You will break under the Spirit of the Lord. And this is what, this is what is, we're being called to do. And if we want to get back to that, if you want to see those things take place, you want to see the Spirit of God move, then it takes a breaking. It takes a break. Sorry, I kind of strayed off the consequences part of this, but there's consequences to sin, and there's consequences on our personal level, on our individual life, and then also on a society level. Okay. Um, and then I said uh, deviating from his commands would bring consequences to individuals and the community, but following his commands would bring God's abiding presence and blessings. As we study the development of the church, we will see how this model provides its framework. All right, let's go to page 44. And I do want to kind of get through this. I'm sorry for talking so much, but I want to I wanted to lay some, some good groundwork there. i got 20 minutes here, and I want to get through both of these sections. It's very important. These are very important sections. All right, prayerfully awaiting the Father's promise, part two. The message of Acts 1, 1 through 3 regarding the church is twofold. The message emphasizes the Holy Spirit's work among his people. Jesus' final charge to his apostles was given through the Holy Spirit. He commissioned his disciples by uh, breathing on them and saying, Receive the Holy Spirit. John 20 and 22. Because of the Spirit's anointing, the apostles would act on Jesus' behalf. The book of Acts records in detail all that was accomplished through the Holy Spirit's power during this time. Both then and now, God's people function properly only by the power of the Holy Spirit in terms of mission, spiritual growth, and discipleship. So what is the lesson saying to us this morning? It is saying that the Holy Spirit is still in the middle of everything that's going on. Was then, is now. There are people that don't believe that. There are a lot of people that would, would write that part of it off and say, well, uh, there's beliefs that it died with the disciples. Um, there's, um, there's people that would say all kinds of different things on why they don't fully believe in the working power of the Holy Spirit. Well, I make an argument of one of a couple ways. Number one, do you believe in the Trinity? And, and you better say yes. <laughs> you believe in the Father, you believe in the Son, and you believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, Trinity is very foundational to our belief system. If you don't believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, you can't properly have an understanding of Jesus. You can't. It's impossible to. The, the Trinity is like one of the main parts of the belief system. So we have the Holy Spirit. Then the Word tells us that Jesus said, in order for him to come, I've got to go away. And so he sends the Holy Spirit. We have no scriptural evidence that he ascended back and we lost the Holy Spirit. I have no clue where people get that from. Now, from a historical perspective, track it. Just track it. Go through... Um, what were we talking about it earlier, Haven? Dark Ages. Started about 500 A.D. 
went to about 1500, about a thousand years of the Dark Ages, and everything that was initially established by the early church was almost lost in the Dark Ages. It just, I mean, literally, just almost wiped completely out. Now, just follow it. About 1600, we had the um, Age of Reasoning. And as you went on, then you've got 1776, we've got the formation of the United States of America. Within that time frame, we start to see writings of people speaking in tongues and enjoying the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, how is that possible after a thousand years of the Dark Ages? They didn't even understand fully what was even taking place. I've studied these revivals, I'm telling you. And then all of a sudden, you watch those hundred years, 1600, 1700, 1800, 1900, and some of the greatest revivals that ever took place happened, 1800, 1900. Power of the Holy Spirit moving amazingly. Um, I can't remember his name. I wrote it down last night. Man said, I've laid at times days and a week prostrate on the floor, praying in silence to the Lord. I dated it back. It was just back in the 1700s. No, we haven't even seen writings from that time about the Holy Spirit moving. This is the kind of stuff that really catches my attention. Because people will say today, well, that stuff's done away with. Do your homework. It never left. Never left. It's amazing to me. And so what does that mean for us today? That it means that, that we need to get a hold of the, the, of the word and be obedient to what the Holy Spirit is telling us because the same Holy Ghost that survived through the dark ages is the same Holy Ghost that will get you through today. Amen. You know, believe me, he knows everything about survival. <laughs> he made it through and successfully kept the establishment of what the early church done and was able to keep it moving forward. Church, I'm telling you, that there's a lot in history. If you look at it from the bigger picture and stop just looking at this culture that we live in and get away from some of that, that some of those teachings, you'll understand that God has been moving and, and still wants to move, still wants to do amazing things. Okay. Um, the second message for this uh, passage regarding the church emphasizes its kingdom message. Jesus spent 40 days after the resurrection teaching his apostles about the kingdom of God. The central work of the church is sharing the good news of Jesus. We know that. As we live out his teachings, what did it say there? We live out his teachings and take the gospel beyond the four walls of our church buildings. Everything we do is held together by the inspired word of God and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Everything, right? Everything knitted together by the Holy Spirit. The gift Jesus spoke of in Acts 1 and 4 and Luke 24 and 49 was not a new promise. It had been foretold in Joel 2, 28-32. As the church took shape, the Spirit's power would be integral to the believer's function and identity as the people of God. The Old Testament community of faith would transform into the church as more and more Jews believed in Christ and the kingdom expanded to include Gentiles. All the while, the Holy Spirit would unify and empower the community because that's what it's always been about is making sure that we're unified with our brothers and sisters in Christ under, under the umbrella of spreading the good news for Christ, right? Amen. We're all in this together, doing the same thing. Okay, um, Acts 105, Jesus compared the baptism in the Holy Spirit to water baptism. John the Baptist had said Jesus would baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, Matthew 3 and 11. But Jesus did not mention a baptism, baptism 
of fire in Acts 1. Fire refers to the judgment awaiting those who reject Christ, so the time of that baptism has not come. What does Jesus' contrast between water baptism and Holy Spirit baptism tell us about what we are about what was about to take place? Although the disciples had not yet been empowered by the Spirit, they had already been born of the Spirit. We agree with that, right? We got, the, we got born of the Spirit. That was what John the Baptist was talking about. And then we have the empowerment of the Spirit, which come the day of Pentecost. They had been taught by Jesus and accepted him as Messiah. He had promised they would receive the Holy Spirit, and they were gathering together in community. These criteria signify someone is part of the church. What signifies? What criteria? What are we talking about? Someone tell me. Let's follow the flow. They've been taught by Jesus and accepted him as Messiah. He had promised they would receive the Holy Spirit and they were gathered, gathering together in community. These criteria signify someone is part of the church. What criteria? Believe in the Holy Spirit. There's one. Gathering with people who believe the same thing. Accepting him as Messiah. Essential. See, now this right here, those are just, you know, if you, if you want to argue, if you want to argue the concept of church, coming to church, it's right here, they didn't call it church, but they were commanded to do what? To gather. They were, they they were commanded to gather and they are commanded to wait. And so they were like, okay, we're going to do it. Let's be obedient. You see, you see that, that thread? What is the thread? The thread is obedience. Let's come together. Let's all get together and let's do what God says. That's what he was saying. And so that thread, it still exists today. It's like, we, let's all get together Sunday morning and let's all listen to God's word and be obedient together. Yeah. It's the same thread. But people want to tell you, there's no reason to go to church. Well, you've done lost yourself. You're confused. You haven't read God's word. And I'm, I'm, it, it just destroys me. <clears throat> people want to, I guess people today, they just wanted to say, Thou shalt go to church. That's what they want. But I'm going to tell you the same thing that he said. Jesus talked about it in Scripture. It's like, it doesn't matter. You say you want a sign. Even if I gave you a sign, you wouldn't believe. Even if I gave you a sign, you wouldn't believe. Even if it said, thou shalt go to church, they wouldn't do it anyway. You say, well, I need to see something more. I'm going to tell you something, church. That mindset, I need something more. That's a Pharisee mindset. You don't believe me? Go back and read it. That's exactly what they said to Jesus. I need to see something more. Uh, when he took the mud and rubbed it in the, the blind man's eyes, and he received his sight, they called him in. Remember, he had to go and present himself. And they, they looked at him and they said, who healed you? And I'm going to kind of squeeze this thing together. He said, who healed you? He said, I'm not sure who it was. He said, by what means and by what way could he heal you? And they asked him this over and over again, so much to the point where he got irritated. And he goes, I don't understand what you're so upset about. I can see. What's the problem? That's exactly where people are at in religion today. I, I need to see something. I need to see something. That's Pharisee mindset. I need more of an excuse and more of a reason to believe. And it's, and it's become irritating to the spirit. And I believe the spirit says the same thing. It said, it don't matter if I show you a sign or not. You ain't going to care. Don't matter. It don't make a difference because your heart's not in the right place. 
Pharisees were uh, hard-hearted, right? That's that mindset, church. Be careful, be careful, church, not to fall into that mindset. It's like, we don't understand. We've lost, the church has lost a lot of the, the pureness of the word and understanding that of what we're actually here for. And, and, I come, and I talk about this topic because that's where a lot of the argument is in our society today. Is should we or should we not go to church? I mean, seriously, that's where we're at today. Should we or should we not? My goodness, we have sin arguments to have, but yet we're, we're debating over whether you should actually show up or not. That's ridiculous. And so I take you back here and I show you this is the earliest thread in the unification and the empowerment of the community, and this is the way God intended it from the very beginning in this early formation of the church, and I believe that that formation still exists today, and his intent is being shown right here. All right, so in Acts 1 and 5, Jesus compares, oh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, next paragraph. What does Jesus contrast between water baptism and Holy Spirit baptism tell us about what was about to take place? Although the disciples not yet been empowered by the Spirit, they had already been born of the Spirit, recovered that. They had been taught by Jesus and accepted him as Messiah. He had promised they would receive the Holy Spirit, and they were gathered together in community. These criteria signify someone is part of the church. Sorry, I already read all that. Let's go to three. I was so excited about it, I want to read it to you again. <laughs> Page 45. Hey, for the record, don't feel bad. If I've read over something, just call it out and tell me. Say, hey, no, no, just keep going. Keep going, please. Just help me out sometimes because I get lost. The apostles made the half-mile journey west to Jerusalem after Jesus' ascension from the Mount of Olives. They went up into an upper room. We know this story, right? Or do we? Of the house, they were... That they were staying because this room was larger than most upper rooms of that day able to hold over a dozen people it is possible this was the room where jesus and the disciples had shared the last supper it's possible it's possible um is it relevant no not necessarily and i'm saying that because I'm, there's another point that needs to be made is, is i i love the theo, the theology behind all of these things but sometimes people you get Listen, I'm going to give you some advice. Don't get so caught up in jots and tittles that it ruins your faith. Don't get so caught up and it's like, were they really there at that time? You're going to find yourself lost. Remember, it's not hard, not complicated, it's just simple. The 11 apostles who remained after Judas Iscariot's death were joined in the room by Jesus' mother, several other women, and Jesus' brothers. Named in Matthew 13, 55 and Mark 6 and 3 as James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Although they had earlier rejected Jesus' ministry, they had begun to believe in him. Now they join the apostles and his other followers in constant, united prayer. Okay, so we got unification, right? We've been talking about that. We got do we have unification? <clears throat> okay, now what was the reason again? Why are they unified? It's okay. There's no wrong answer. Please, just tell me. Why, why were they being unified together in this room? What was the reason? Waiting for the gift. They were told directly, correct? They said, you go and you wait for this. This is the promise I'm giving to you. Do it. Okay. Once again, I'm going to refer back to the same thread and go back to this is a theme throughout history. Is we've been given a promise. We come together and we unify for the promise, for what is given. It is very difficult. Not, it's, it's not impossible, but it is very difficult to experience unification alone. All right? 
I, I, and I, I really think it's great for some of the technology that we have today. We have the ability to see messages on our devices. And I mean, we have technology. It's just ridiculous. It really is. It's just crazy that where we are at now and being able to see these things. But there is no substitute for unification and being at the same place at the same time as other believers. Amen. There's no substitute. None. And, and, and I don't care how good technology gets. I don't care if they put a camera in there. They're doing it now. You can put a camera in. You can put your, your VR helmet on and you can be in that room. That's still not there. You're still not there. Yes, you get to hear what's going on. You can kind of visualize it, but you're not there. Yeah, can't feel it. You can, there's just something about the camaraderie and the unification of people. And that thread is a very powerful thread because it makes you stronger. It makes you stronger. Iron sharpens iron. You sharpen each other by being in each other's presence, by speaking and talking to one another. Um, going rogue? It's not the answer. <coughs> and I'll further expound on that. It feels like the answer, though. I will. I'll expound on that because I know, understand that you do, we're dealing with a lot of different people and a lot of different personalities that are here. Some of you like being alone. Totally understand that. Uh, but there isn't an actual clause or substitute, uh, I guess you would call that a, a ordinance. There's not been a, an, an added ordinance for people that have those kind of emotions and feelings. Look, I'm telling you, the most valuable thing to do is just to be obedient to God's word. And if he says that the power is in the group and in the unification, then it's there. And so by, by submitting to it and pushing through our fleshly desires to want to be alone and to get away from everybody, it's like, I don't want to be around anybody. Look, I'm with you. I'm with you. I want to run and escape just like you do. But that's not the answer. It might appeal to the flesh for a little while, but at the end, you're going to be lost. You'll have nobody around you, nobody to support you, nobody to hold you up. And that's not the place to be, is it? That's not the place to be, especially now. Okay. The group of 11 had grown to 120 who had obeyed the command to wait in Jerusalem for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Peter noted how the inspired scriptures foretold about Judas who had betrayed Christ was now dead. <clears throat> David's prophetic words in Psalms 69, 25, 109, and 8 would lead them to choose a replacement for Judas based on a set of criteria. The apostles prayed for God's will to be done and cast lots to decide um, between Barsabbas and Matthias. The lot settled on Matthias. All right, so do, do we understand what casting lots were? I'm just going just gonna to tell you they're going to discontinue the use of them. Casting lots was the, the, let me see if I can pronounce it correctly, the umum and the thurum. Am I saying that right, Misty? Thurum? Thumum? Something like that. <laughs> study it. You go study it. So the priest had, had these, and we're not exact. I've done some homework on this. We're not exactly sure where this came into play, but it was in play. We know this for sure. And they used this, and this was casting lots, and they would throw this out. It was almost like a, like dice. They would pray, and they would throw this out there, and it was to give the answer that God had spoken. That's how they, that's how they derived an answer from the Lord before we had direct connection with the Holy Spirit. See, think about how much it changed. That was only the priest. Only the priest could use that. And it was only under certain circumstances. It wasn't just like, where do I need to eat today? No, it was very sacred. 
That's a real example. <laughs> okay, but look what he says here. <clears throat> this was the first time the early church cast lot, first and last time the early church cast lots to make a decision. After the baptism and the Holy Spirit took place and his guidance and power became accessible in an unprecedented way, church leaders sought direct divine guidance through prayer. I come back to, let me come back to, the fundamental part of the Holy Spirit of the Trinity and for people that say, well, that the Holy Spirit doesn't matter anymore. I'm going to address that again in, in that this is evidence that the Holy Spirit is here with us this morning and today is that the priests were using this these lots or these dice to access and talk to God. And they said that was the first and last time in the covenant, under covenant, that they ever used them because there was no need anymore. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is here. And he speaks to us directly. And so I still, and, and, I would, and I'm saying this because I, I believe that there are certain people that, that just, they do. They have this mental mindset about that's non-essential. Those things are not really that important. Church, I tell you today, if we're going to agree that the Holy Spirit is here, if we're going to agree that the Holy Spirit is relevant, and that, yes, I believe in the Holy Spirit, then you have to take the whole package. Amen. You cannot take a part of it. You have to take the whole thing. Is there, is there more to it? Now, I'm careful to say this. Is there more to it than just speaking in tongues and gifts of the Spirit? Absolutely. But those can't be dismissed either. And I, I'm, I'm excited about these words. I'm excited to talk about the Holy Spirit because the church needs to become reacquainted Amen. with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Reacquainted with that worker of power and that, that presence of the Lord we so desperately need in our lives. We need, he was the, he's the truth revealer. You and I need truth revealed to us in our lives. Um, anything else before I, I shut this thing down? Usually I don't ask that, but is there any comments you want to say about this? We've got like two minutes. Good comments, not bad, of course. <laughs> You're not allowed to say anything bad. <laughs> I'm joking. All right. This is, this is a powerful lesson. When we talk about the Holy Ghost, church, that's fundamental stuff. We should be excited about that. Take this with you. Study it. Um, and be reacquainted with the Holy Ghost. Love you guys. Thanks.